Hey friends, welcome to Living in His Purpose podcast, where we recognize that in God's purpose, He has the perfect spot for you. If you're a Christian woman and you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious by this rat race way of life and you're ready to find simplicity God's way, you're in the right spot. By replacing negative mindsets and habits with God's word, we're going to give Holy Spirit permission to come in and help us walk bravely in this upside down world. These are not easy things to face, sweet friend. You're going to have to put on your big girl pants. So pull them up, grab a drink, and let's get going. Hey, sweet friends. Thanks again for joining me this week. So we are a week before Christmas, and I'm looking around, and I see all these commercials on television about how great life is with Christmas coming, and the lights, and the families all coming together, and the world forgetting about the wars. It's peaceful and kind and loving, and that's such a grand, lovely idea. It's just unfortunate that that we all don't live in that same world. (laughs) Some of us live in a world where Christmas is just hard. We're just looking at ways to endure this. We're just looking for ways to get past this season and try not to let the anxiety and depression overtake us. We're just trying to endure. Well, I'm here today to help you figure out how to let go of some of that. And I'm going to give you some ideas on how you can address these feelings and what to do instead. I'm currently reading a book, Jesus the Great Philosopher by Jonathan Pennington. Among many topics, he spends some time talking about ways that we can look at our emotions and the way that we're dealing with life. I think a lot of people have Christianity in one of two camps. It's either all about love or everyone's damned to hell. It's a very different kind of mindset. And so they don't see the fullness. They miss the richness that Christianity is, what Christ himself is offering. And so I think we're seeing the world in general address our emotions from two extremes. The first school of thought is, let's just disassociate from our emotions. They're all bad. We can't handle them. They just wreck the world. We're just going to disassociate. We can completely control those if, if we're not having to exhibit them. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we see the school of thought that we're pure emotions. We cannot control them, so just give in to them and let it be. That's just how the cookie crumbles. And as a Christian, I want to say that even in our hard emotions, even in this anxiety and depression that we're suffering, our emotions are real. Jesus had emotions. God has emotions. You can read through the Bible multiple counts of all the types of emotions that God and Jesus have. But the wonderful thing is that God's emotions are holy. They're without fault. They're perfect. And we can use this as a standard for how we experience and deal with our emotions. We have something to pursue, a way to take these emotions and figure out figure them out in a healthy way Jesus was a perfect example here on this planet he suffered from anxiety and depression and he suffered from all the emotions that we have but he also had joy and happiness and he laughed and I think he made people laugh I feel that a lot of people see Jesus as always serious, especially in our Western tradition, where we're focusing on Jesus at the cross and his ending and all of those horrific emotions that were pulsating through that day of his life. And we kind of hold on to that. It is always good to remember that. But we need to remember that Jesus, what he was like on earth. You know, when he was talking on the mount, he was talking lovingly to a large crowd. And some of this might be shocking to think, but I think he was laughing, making jokes, making fun of himself. His emotions are full and strong, but they never mastered him and they never functioned wrongly. So in this image, we have this emotional life that the triune offers us and it provides us a model for who we are made in God's image. Because we live in a fallen world, we're disordered and we're broken. In the word of God, we see that emotions aren't bad and uncontrollable and dangerous. 
Emotions are woven into our habits and our understanding and in our bodies. And that's what makes us human. They're part of life and we can't avoid them. But we have to be educated in the correct way of seeing the world. We have to know when and what emotions need to be taken captive. Just like last week, we took our thoughts captive. Remember, we talked about our soul, our body, and our spirit. And we have to let the spirit rule. And how does that happen? Because we've joined with Holy Spirit and we're being infused through the word of God, which should be ruling our souls. We don't let our broken souls or broken emotions rule us. We can have emotions and they should be part of us. They can be thinking and feeling and that's what makes us true people. Think of it like this. Emotions need to be educated. So in our souls, what should rule? As Christians, emotions should not be given the leading role. Our faith should. And our faith comes from this fact. And the fact is God is good. He loves us. He wants good for us. He feels for us when we go through difficult times. And I think just understanding that fact and having faith that it's true can educate our emotions. It puts our focus where it should be, on God. Throughout the whole Bible, we are allowed into people's thoughts and actions and emotions that they're having. The whole book of Psalms is about people dealing with a full range of emotions and they're not condemned for it. They're not written off as hyper-emotional for expressing their feelings and they, and they are commended. King David, he was the author of many Psalms and he was known for his deep passions and display of emotion. So we're allowed to have that. But what is the Bible's view here? The Bible's view of emotions is that motion, emotions are controllable. We don't detach from our emotions, but we look for the good. In Philippians 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Mind you, he's in prison when he's writing this. And his circumstances, if I were in those circumstances, I don't think that the first thing I would tell you is to rejoice. I think that would be something I'd really have to work on. In Philippians 4, 6, he says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So the, the result of these choices, don't be anxious and to rejoice. They're going to give us that peace that every soul longs for, the peace that comes from God himself. Emotions are part of what it means to be Christians. But as Christians, we have to have a measured detachment from our circumstances that would normally cause this range of emotions. That's all fine to say, but how do we do that? Christianity is clear on how we can walk this fine line of full emotions and be detached. And this is a great human question. And the answer is divine. It's where we place our understanding. It is rooted in the person of Christ. We don't have to wonder what the secret is. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him, which is Jesus who gives me strength. So Paul got this transformative understanding from Jesus himself, Jesus' teaching and Jesus' example. Jesus was not insensitive to emotions. He definitely addressed their emotions, like telling his disciples to rejoice in the middle of persecutions and rejections on all of that. But how? That's what we want to know, right? How do we do that? We do that through the knowledge that these unjust sufferings and this emotional distress, it's been endured by God's faithful prophets in the past and through the sure hope that God will reward, restore all those that have suffered on his behalf. So this isn't mindless emotional overdoing it or emotional detachment. It's a fully emotional life educated by knowledge and hope in God. 
And Jesus modeled this for us in his darkest hour, right? He's got blood dripping, sweat, sweat dripping down from his head that turned to blood because of his distress. And his friends are close by, but they're betraying him and he knows what's about to come. So we can look at his model of educating his emotions in that garden of Gethsemane. He puts his full hope and trust in God the Father when he says, not my will be done, but yours. He showed us about our emotions. He practiced it. He's fully present to his emotions, even the painful ones. And yet he finds peace because he trusts in God. So those of us that are suffering with anxiety and this depression, where's your focus? That's something that's just going to have to be central. You're going to have to be focused. And then in the New Testament, Christians are strongly urged to develop certain practices and habits to develop that, that focus. Paul describes two different possible human states. We have in the flesh and in the spirit. And there are different ways and different feelings we have that are opposite each other in these two realms here on earth. So he describes what we should do. Let go of fleshly desires and mindsets and practices that are in the flesh. But not only does he have us take things away, he tells us what we should fill up with. There are things we should be doing. And what should we be doing? We should be directing our emotions and our habits toward the work of Holy Spirit which is perfectly lined out in Galatians. And we call them the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So to be filled with the Spirit is to have certain emotions and to control, learn to control the other ones. So how do we do that? Well, here's an example. In Ephesians 5, we're instructed to sing songs and spiritual hymns with one another. And the question would be, why would Christians be told to do this? Why are we being told in the Bible to sing songs of praise and give thanksgiving to God, even in the middle of difficulties and misunderstandings? The answer is because the Christian understands that there's a really difficult relationship, complicated relationship between our minds, our bodies, our actions, our emotions. And as we engage in certain practices, they are going to shape us. They're going to form us. There are these habits and things that we do over and over to teach our emotions how to be. So we're not carried along with our emotions. We can educate our emotions through action and we eventually find the wholeness of body and soul. So what does that look like? What's the practicality of all this? How can we drill down on our emotions? Well, there are two ways to do this. And this is what I pulled from this book. And it's so, so simple. Just so simple. And I thought, well, of course it is. <laughs> because God's not hard. He is complicated and I cannot understand his ways. But he's not chaotic. He's organized. He has a very good plan for us. We just have to believe it. First we have to read it. And then we have to believe it. And then we have to put it into practice. So there are three things that we should be doing as Christians to help teach our emotions to not overwhelm us. First is faith. I mentioned it before, and really, it's a precursor to the two actions that the author of this book suggested is how we transform our minds. You have to have faith. And the good news is God will give you this faith. So literally, you just need to keep your mind open to the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. The second thing here, that what we actually start doing, we need to know that our minds need to be intentionally engaged for happiness and growth and healing to occur. And this happens through reflection. There's a quote from Socrates and he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. This is because without intentional reflection, we will live our lives with no purpose, no direction. 
And this is something I was missing for a really long time. I let, I had a lot of anxiety and guilt and shame that any type of reflection was really quite painful. There's been a lot of counseling that I've worked through and a lot of healing has occurred. And through life coaching, I can now look forward and decide what to hold on to and what to let go of. And I find this to be such a gift from God. So reflection and meditation are essential to living well because they're educating our emotions in a healthy way. It's like providing the nutrients to our soul's emotional soil. Examples of intentional reflection can be found in the Bible. In Deuteronomy 6, God's people are instructed to regularly reflect on the truths about what they went through when they were led out of Egypt. And after God gave them the laws, he told them to tell all their kids about it. Talk about them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So this is a habit that we can develop of intentional reflection that's going to shape our beliefs, our faithfulness, our obedience, and our whole emotional health. Again, the book of Psalms, it's the epicenter of the Bible's emotional education, and it starts in the very first Psalm by showing us a vivid image of what kind of people are truly happy. And those are the ones that are planted by the water of life versus those people who live their lives and end up with regret and loss and destruction. One is the good life and the other's not. Then what's the difference? The happier were those who meditate and intentionally reflect on God's ways and instructions. So what is happiness? Well, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Jesus defines true happiness as a certain way of seeing and being in the world. And it's all centered on his revelation of the kingdom of heaven. He talks about this on the Sermon on the Mount. This happiness and lifestyle of discipleship depends on being able to reflect on the true nature of reality that is taught by Jesus. Our emotions and our behaviors are educated by reflections. So let's move into a little bit more of what we're dealing with here. Uh, There's an example here in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Jesus is talking about one of the most powerful and destructive human emotions that we have, anxiety. And I can just tell you, even in this last week, how many conversations I've had with friends and people who are experiencing anxiety. There are a lot of reasons for anxiety. Everyone comes at it from a different angle, and God knows this. He's given us help with this. He knows that our natural human tendency is to worry, and so he addresses this fundamental human anxiety, whether it's for food, water, and clothing, or anything in our daily life. And in 625, 631, and 634, he says three times, do not worry. So what basis is Jesus saying this? His practical Practical advice is not a denial of the reality of problems. He's not detaching from the uncontrollable world, nor is he singing a song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. He's intentionally reflecting on what is true, and the whole of this reflection is on God, the Father, who is willing and able to provide for all of our needs. He knows we need certain things, and there's ample evidence in his word that he's going to take care of us. All you have to do is look around, look at the flowers and the birds around us. And this intentional reflecting on truths, it doesn't make all the anxiety disappear. It doesn't deny the reality of negative emotions, but it does provide a practical way which we can educate our emotions. Philippians 4.8 sums up exactly this way of being a Christian in the world. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. So this is why I'm so committed to being a mindset life coach. God's word is so clear to us. We have to change the way that we think. We can't be in our anxiety. We can't stay there because there's nothing profitable from it. And then the enemy has won. You have to reach out to the father of heaven. And that's such a gift that he's given us as children of God. We have this great being who wants to see us happy, who has a plan to make us happy. And he wants it for us here, not just in heaven, because we can look up and say, well, sure, everything's going to be better when we get to heaven. And I do say that most every day. So I completely understand that thought process. But what I'm learning is God wants us happy here. He wants us joyful. And I know that's something that is taught in my church is that we may not be happy because that can be dependent on our circumstances, but we can be full of joy. What I really like about this book is this concept of human flourishing, and I love that word. I think it's much more encompassing than saying happy. You know, when we become Christians, God is taking our dead spirit and he's making it alive. He is flourishing in us. And it just reminds me of flowers opening up in spring. It just, and the grass is green. Everything is new and flourishing. Things can be hard. You can be in the middle of some hard stuff, but when we focus laser focus and reflect on what God is doing in the world around us and if we listen carefully to what he's saying and we start believing that what he says is true then we put that into our heart we start listening to the spirit that's talking to us and our mindset's going to change you will change you have to change because God's word is powerful his word goes out and does not come back empty he's powerful people he's powerful okay so the third thing is prayer there in this book he mentions two kinds of prayers confession and supplication confession is seeking forgiveness and supplication is making requests and i'd also add that we have thanksgiving and praise and there's all sorts of prayer that we can spend hours in discussion about we have to remember that god is personal relatable capable and kind he invites people into a relationship with him out of love and oh people i just wish i could impress upon you if you're not feeling loved or even know how much jesus loves you here please know that the heart of his relationship is love when i was going through that period of time when i was learning what love was all about and for some reason that verse just stuck with me in first john it says God is love. It doesn't say he loves. It says he is love. And so if a supreme being is love, everything that comes out has to be good, doesn't it? Well, he can't be bad. He has to be good because he is love. Now, prayer in the form of confession and supplication. It adds an active ingredient into our emotional life. It makes us vibrant and healthy. Through confessional prayer, we as Christians are able to deal with some of our most devastating emotions, which are shame and guilt. And honestly, that's a whole different podcast. I, I don't think we have time to go into that. But these two, these are real emotions. They're based on moral realities. And God provides a way out for us. Whereas if you were listening to the thoughts of the world and the philosophies of the world, they don't have an answer for that. They just put your head in the sand and ignore it. But God's plan is for restoration. It's perfect and complete and it's guaranteed. And it started with the birth of Jesus. It went throughout his whole life, his death and resurrection. And that's where our hope is. That's where our future is. It's not our circumstances. We're not disconnected from reality, but God brought us peace and flourishing to the real world where we are now. Christianity is a forward-looking faith. It sees ultimate human happiness as something that will be complete in the future because eventually God is going to take care of all the evil and he's going to be fully present with his creation. Circumstances do matter. 
Denial and escapism are not the solution, but we should learn to rejoice, to know joy and peace, even when our circumstances aren't conducive to that. But how do we do that? Through prayers of supplication, offering ourselves to God and asking Him to provide and care for us. Through prayerfully entrusting our lives, our circumstances, our emotions to a God who is personal to us, who's compassionate and capable, we can learn emotional health. And a great example of this is in 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you and he is also capable. God's mighty hand will lift his people up in due time. So we can do more than just tell ourselves that everything's going to be fine. It's all fine. I'm just going to do this day and tomorrow will be fine. We can do more than say our circumstances don't really matter because there's heaven in the future and don't really have to deal with anything. But that's not reality. Real situations affect us. But we have hope. The Christian hope is that we can supplicate. We can ask a personal, capable God to intervene, help, provide, and deliver us. So I guess what I'm saying in all of this, and I'm going to wrap this up here, I understand depression and anxiety. I've lived it a lot of years of my life. I completely understand it. But it doesn't have to grab hold of you. You can have happiness in this world. There are difficult things going on around us all the time. Every one of my friends have very difficult things going on in their lives. I completely understand the overwhelmingness of it all. But I want to encourage you to look at the way that your mindset is sitting right now. And if you're willing, because you have to be willing to do this, you have to be wanting to do this if you're willing. I'm here to encourage you to take that step, to take those thoughts captive and say no more to these emotions. These emotions that I'm feeling, no more. There's more out there than this. I will not live in this self-pity anymore. I will not live in this anxious world anymore. I'm going to go to the word. I'm going to read it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to talk to the person who wrote the book and I'm going to trust that the information there is good. I'm going to take it to heart. I'm going to use it to change my mind and my mindset. I'm going to start seeing the world the way God does. I'm going to contemplate the beauty of the world around me. And I'm going to imagine that when I'm in heaven, the beauty will be unimaginable. And I'm going to spend my time thinking about what is true and noble and beautiful and everything that he wants me to think about. God knows this world stinks. He knows that. He sees it. His heart aches. But he also knows that people need him. And if we're stuck in our sorrow, we can't go forth and lead others to Jesus. It's really hard to do both. You have to make a decision. And this season's hard. This Christmas season is hard. So in the next few hard days, I'm going to give you a to-do list. Number one, schedule a crying session. You heard me. Put it on your calendar, whether it's tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock before you go to bed. I want you to have a crying session, and I want it to be 10 whole minutes crying hard. It's got to be messy. It's not all over the pillow. You're going to do this, and you're going to let out all that pent-up emotion. And then you're going to, when you get done with crying, you're going to move to number two. Number two, I want you to spend 15 minutes thanking God for everything that you have in your life. Be thankful. This is one way to let go of those negative emotions and have the positive floating around inside your brain. When you take your brain and you start thinking about the positive things, you start thinking about, I don't know, things like the beautiful paint color you happen to randomly choose, about the dog by your side that loves you to death. When you think about the blue sky that you can see every day from your office window, when you think about the friends that you have and are blessed with, everyone has something to be thankful for. It might take a little bit of time to find it, but it's there. So the first thing is cry hard. The second thing is pray harder. The third thing I would encourage you to do if you're just feeling over it, take your shoes off, go outside and put your feet on the ground. 
not in the ground, <laughs> not six feet under in the ground, but on the ground. We'll talk about this on another day, but it's called grounding. I highly encourage you to look it up and learn about it a little bit. It's all scientific and it's a beautiful thing and it just blows my mind. But above all, it's very helpful. And I'm just going to leave it there. Three things to do to get you through the anxiety and depression through this holiday season. Let me share a bit of encouragement also. A lot of people who suffer from depression actually suffer from seasonal affective disorder also. Remember that December 21st is the shortest day of the year. After that, each day starts getting a little longer, and I hope that gives some hope to someone out there. So cry hard, pray harder, go put your feet in the grass. Yes, I know it's cold out there, and God bless you all who live in Florida and could put your feet in the sand. Go do it. And remember, Jesus loves you. Life is hard, but he is good. Have a good day. Have a good week. I'll see you next week and Merry Christmas. Enjoy the birthday of our Lord and Savior. If you would like to discover more about life coaching, why don't you book a discovery call? And you're going to find my link in the show notes. If you have questions or would like to chat, my email address is also in the, in the show notes. If you like what you're listening to, leave me a review and follow along with me. I'll do a happy dance in my big girl pants. <laughs> in the show notes, you're going to find a printable version of what I call the Daisy Method, where you learn to take those thoughts and emotions captive. Have a great day, y'all. You can take off your big girl pants now. We're done with the hard thing. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for being here with me, and I'm hoping that you received a word. Let me close with a passage of scripture. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. By doing this, sweet friend, you're going to find that you can take those thoughts captive and change that mindset and be anxious for nothing. Have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time.